0: Uh, rebel Heart. Really, I mean, the theme of that is basically there's God's way of doing things and there's my way of doing things. And there's a major choice to be made. And we're going to get into that a little bit this morning uh, as we jump into this new series. And we're jumping into the book of Proverbs and uh, talking about wisdom and, and easily my favorite book of the Bible. I read through it once a year, if not more times. Uh, try to read through it nice and slow. And it's one of those books that's difficult to make it about you, right? You start diving into some of the different Proverbs that are in there, and you start thinking, man, I'm reading about gossip. I know this one person who really needs this Proverb. Like, they could really use this wisdom. Or or you start talking about keeping your mouth under control or keeping your money under control. And it's hard to not just have the faces of other people flashing through your mind as you read through Proverbs. So really uh, have to work hard as you're reading through it. Um, And, I mean, Proverbs 1 through 9... Uh, in my opinion, one of the most powerful impacting sections of all of Scripture. So if you've never read Proverbs, I'd really encourage you at least get through those first nine chapters somehow. Um, and as I was prepping for this series, trying to think through, like, when did that book become such a big deal to me? When did the idea of wisdom become such a big deal? And I was kind of racking my brain through different memories, and then my, my mind, you know, the real stopped at eighth grade And there was no doubt in my mind when I realized what it was. And it it was a trip that my brother and I made to Florida. My parents stuck us on a plane and sent us down. I was in eighth grade. He was in ninth grade. And we went to my grandparents' house, which is always fun. Loved being down there with them and and some great memories for sure. But this one particular visit got a little bit tense, got a little bit awkward. So it was Sunday morning. And, of course, you got to go to church with grandpa and grandma when you go there. And now that my parents are grandparents, I know that it's more of just you want to show off your grandkids and stuff like that. But we're getting ready for church, and in, it, many of you grew up this way, maybe this is this way in your house, where as you're getting ready for church, you have some, some worship music on in the background, maybe it's uh, something on satellite radio or, or whatever. Um, and my grandparents were no different. They always had something playing. It was usually um, some, uh, you know, uh, Andy Griffith sings the hymns or something like that that they like to have on there. So we were like, hey, uh, my brother said, hey, we've got this CD. Do you mind if I put in my CD? And if you're here and you don't know what a CD is, get some younger ones in here. It's basically an MP3 on a big piece of plastic. Uh, But anyway, so uh, my brother said, hey, I've got this guy I like to listen to. Can we put that in for the Sunday morning you know, home music? And I said, sure, go ahead. Um, Now, this individual artist was named Clay Cross, and that probably means nothing to most of you, but uh, if you grew up in the 90s with contemporary Christian music, you probably know who that was. But basically, Clay Cross, his music would make our band sound like Metallica, right? He, He was super chill nothing crazy about this dude they're like not out there at all but my brother puts it on and the first song's going and and the way their house is laid out I was sitting at the dining room table eating breakfast and it was almost laid out like a wall street hostile takeover situation my grandpa was sitting at one end of the table in his usual spot I had taken the other end of the table. No bad intentions. That's just where we ended up sitting. But it played out as like the perfect scenario. It was like this big confrontation. So this song is playing. Like I said, super chill. And my grandpa goes, Nope, 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 nope. We're gonna turn that off. That music is inappropriate. I said, oh, I mean, it's it's really not that crazy. What, what's inappropriate about the music? And he kind of mumbles on about you know rock and roll, something, something, and. Drums, something, something, electric guitars, something, something, And, and and I go, yeah, but it's it's mixed really. Like this isn't out of control. I don't think there's anything wrong with this music. I think that you're overreacting. And he comes back with the the amazing response that adults come back with. That's enough. We're turning it off. It's inappropriate. You need to learn to respect your elders. Now. Uh, I need you to know uh, my sarcasm had not been brought under the authority of Christ at that point in my life. And so I, instead of taking the hint that this conversation needed to be over, came back with all the, the tact that a 14-year-old has in their body and said, oh, great, let's just find the oldest dude at church and do whatever he says all the time then. Now, in, in my, for whatever reason, my memory stops there. Uh, I don't remember what happened after that. Uh, I think what happened is he chose to take the high road, thankfully, but I've heard enough stories from my dad and my uncles to know that my life should have ended, should have ended that day. That should have been the end of it. Uh, he was old school. He was greatest generation. He was backhand for assassin your mom kind of dude, okay? So um, I, I should have paid a very stiff, uh, stiff price For that comment. So that, now here's the thing, that's just half of the Sunday morning scenario. We still have to get in the car and go to church together. So we pile in, and by the way, the first thing I see as I get into their minivan is Elvis sings the hymns, and I'm thinking, that's rock and roll. That's the king of rock and roll. What are we doing here? So that was one thing. We get to church. We have this awkward moment because they have Sunday school first, and my brother and I, I was eighth grade. He was ninth grade, but I didn't want to go to the middle school Sunday school by myself. So I went to the high school thing with him, and so I was too insecure to go to the middle school one. Felt weird about going to the high school one. I think I lied about what grade I was in just so they wouldn't ask any questions. Um, And and so that was kind of awkward, but not that big of a deal because we're church kids, Sunday school, no big deal. So when we get to the main service, sang a bunch of hymns, again, we're church kids, no big deal. I could sing them all word for word right now if I had to, but that's just kind of what we did. But then we get to the sermon part, and we find out that the senior pastor of their church was not speaking that day. He had asked the youth pastor to speak that day, but it was about a very specific, very ironic topic. He had asked their youth pastor to do a bunch of research, which I don't think he did, and come back to the church with a report on what the Bible has to say about contemporary Christian music. I'm sitting there thinking, no, what did I do to deserve this, right? Like breakfast was terrible, Sunday school was awkward, and now, of course, the youth pastor, and it felt like my grandpa had orchestrated the whole morning, like we're going to create some tension at home, we're going to get this topic going, I'm going to let them play this nasty CD, and then we'll get them to church, and they can hear the word, right? It just felt like it was all on purpose, and the whole world revolved around that conversation. And I don't remember a ton about the topic. Um, I remember enough to, to think back and, and remember that it was probably the most intellectually dishonest and biblically immature sermon I've ever heard in my life. Now, in the guy's defense, he was probably super young. When I, you know, when you're 14, everybody seems old. But he's probably, what, 23, 24, fresh out of Bible college um, and, and still figuring things out and just doing what everybody tells him to do. Um, but I remember him talking about a band named Plank Eye, which was super hardcore christian rock band back then and he goes i don't i don't even know where you get a name like that and i'm sitting there in eighth grade thinking from the bible dummy like you don't mess with the speck in your friend's eye until you deal with the plank in your own eye it's from the bible and he just didn't he didn't get that and then i remember him talking and i remember him talking about amy grant who was famous contemporary christian artist back in the day and how she was divorced and how wrong it was for her to continue this ministry through music because she was divorced. Now, mind you, everyone in that church loves Sandy Patty, who was another singer at that time. Also divorced, but they loved her because she sang gospel music, so it's no big deal, right? You get a special pass if you sing the music. So I look back on that sermon and I think, man, what, what a joke. It was so frustrating. And, and, and a couple big things I take out of that, maybe three. One, I need you to know, my grandpa was an amazing man. He lived and ultimately died with a, a level of faith and God-given strength that I can only imagine having. Um, and his, his journey with Jesus began the transformation in the Powell family tree that still, in many ways, shapes the mission and philosophies of this church. Just an amazing man. However, the second thing I want you to walk away is that the hypocrisy of that day, the lack of wisdom of that day, still Messes with me to this day, um, and the third thing is the fact that at 14 years old, I went toe to toe with a successful trial lawyer and feel like I won, uh, and so that was a pretty big moment for me as well, even in the midst of the chaos of that day. Um, but maybe you've had uh, some moments like that, uh, because here's the thing: I, I would still, um, among many family members and friends of his, would still look back and refer to my grandpa as wise at least wise in the definition that we, that we typically use for it. And, and you've probably been there where you, maybe you've leaned on someone that's always been lifted up as wise, or you've trusted advice or direction that seemed to be wise, or you've followed a path or an example that always appeared wise from the outside in, only to discover that there was something missing about that person or about that piece of advice or about that path that you've been following. And similar to my time with Grandpa on that day and even other experiences that I look back on, or maybe you walk away from the experience thinking there's got to be more to wisdom than this right is this wisdom is this argument at the breakfast table was that wisdom was was this ridiculous sermon from a young youth pet was that wisdom it's got to be more to wisdom than this and and admittedly it's tough to nail down but that's what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks when it comes to this idea of wisdom and and how it gets laid out in the book of Proverbs. So um, next week, we're going to do uh, probably the most stereotypical talk in the history of this church. We're going to do Proverbs 31 woman on Mother's Day. And everybody, I mean, every church in the country is going to do that. And we, we, we don't usually do that stuff, but we're going to. We're in Proverbs anyway, so we're kind of shifting things around to make it fit. Uh, so we're going to talk about, and maybe you've heard that phrase of Proverbs 31 woman, and we're going to look at what that actually means. Um, and then the week after that, get into some of the practical Things, uh, practical wisdom that Proverbs gives us in, in the second half of that book. Um, and then wrap up the fourth week and, and see that actually Jesus kind of shows up in Proverbs. So that'll be a fun one. But today, really asking a couple big questions. First, what is wisdom? And then secondly, why is it that big of a deal? So that's what I want to get into today. So we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 1 um, and just kind of dive into to what happens here. Proverbs 1, starting in verse 1, says, These are are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Proverbs for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Proverbs for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. It's for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs for gaining wisdom. Now, wisdom is tough to nail down, partly because of the way we typically use the word. We refer to people as wise or, or advice as wise and things like that, whether they are or they aren't. But it's also tough to nail down because of the way God uses the word wisdom in different points. So this word wisdom that we see in Proverbs chapter 1 shows up in Exodus 35, believe it or not. Exodus 35, 26 says, All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. That phrase, the skill. Same word that's used in Proverbs 1 for wisdom is used for the skill here, referring to the ability to spin goat hair if we go uh, a few verses over later on in chapter 35 verse 35 says he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers designers embroiderers in blue purple scarlet yarn fine linen same word that's used in proverbs 1 for wisdom is used here for skill shows up again in first kings chapter 7 where solomon is building and furnishing this great temple that he built for god 1 Kings seven fourteen. this guy named Hiram says, His mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali and whose father was from Tyre and a skilled, same word, craftsman in bronze. Hiram was filled with wisdom, same word, with understanding and with knowledge to do all kinds of of bronze work. So we have the word using, meaning wisdom in Proverbs 1, is meaning skilled in some of these other spots in the Old Testament. And in this context, wisdom appears to be practical skills, talents, giftings for life, where you're taking knowledge, things that can be given and seen and taught and experienced, and you're applying it to everyday situations for the betterment of yourself and for others and for the entire community. It's the practice of knowledge. Now, that's That's different than the way I want to refer to wisdom throughout this series. Because when you take that, and even when you combine it with some of our English dictionary definitions, one says, wisdom is knowledge and the capacity to make good use of it. I think that's an okay definition. It's not not wrong. It's not bad. That that fits with what we saw in Exodus and 1 Kings. It's trades, it's skills, it's jobs. It's the type of wisdom of, of, of like, if I play in the street, I might get hit by a car, so I'm not going to do that. Right? It seems like it's that type of wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that says, it sometimes snows in Michigan in April, so you plant churches in Florida. Right? It's that kind of wisdom. I missed that little nugget along the way, but it happens, right? So it's, it's that really practical, common sense. I've lived this. I've cut off a finger with my table saw, so I'm going to be more careful next time. It's that type of wisdom. Another dictionary defines it as, uh, wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right or lasting. I think that's an even better definition, right? I think that is moving us in the right direction. That's that's asking questions like, is this person legit, or are they maybe full of it in some way? Where, where should I invest my time? Where should I invest my money? Should I trust, or not? Should I say yes or no? Should I go or stay? Should I punish? Or just give a warning. So we're starting to move away from just the practical skills of life into more of something bigger than that. And, and, and as I look at even the way it's used in Exodus, the way we define it in our dictionaries, I think those usual definitions and even those biblical examples, I think they're fine. I think it works. It, it's, it's accurate. But as I read deeper into Proverbs chapter 1, which we're going to do in just a second to me, the idea of wisdom seems way more urgent than we usually give it credit for. It seems like a bigger deal than the way we usually define it. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of provide the answer to this first question, what is wisdom, and and give a definition that I think matches the weight and urgency that we're going to see in the book of Proverbs and match what I think we need to take away from it. And so what we did, I actually grabbed Joe and we sat in our office back there and we had some fun. We actually bought a big whiteboard just to wordsmith this thing and started to find, we started looking at uh, verses in Proverbs, other parts of scripture, like what is wisdom? How can we define this for the purpose of the series and then even long term as we try to grasp and, and take hold of more wisdom in our lives? So here's, I'm going to give you the definition we came up with and then I want to break it down piece by piece real quick just to so kind of see what, what our, our mindset was as we were throwing this down. So here's, here's the definition that we came up with. We define wisdom as a gift from God that allows us to process natural information and act on it with a supernatural perspective in order to experience kingdom outcomes. Wisdom is a gift from God that allows us to process natural information and act on it with a supernatural perspective in order to experience kingdom outcomes. So let me break that down a little bit for you so it all kind of makes sense. There's a lot of words in there first a gift from god proverbs 2:6 which we'll read again in a second it says the lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding the kind of insight that we're talking about is not available it's not possible without god providing it it's a gift from god it's something he has to give us we're trying to process natural information and these are obvious examples but we're talking about processing relationships in my life relationships In the past relationships in the present studying people and their personalities and their differences we're looking at facts and financials we're looking at feelings we're looking at memories we're talking about choices right pros and cons uh, short-term and long-term consequences of our actions what can i see what can i hear what can i know what can i learn We're, we're talking about tangible data now i know feelings aren't always tangible you can't measure them necessarily but they're real, right? You can see emotions and feelings in people. You can, you can uh, evaluate how you're feeling and things like that. So we're talking about tangible data that we can process and comprehend here in the human brain. Natural information, the five senses. So we're, it's a gift from God as we're processing natural information, the information at our disposal. But we want to act on it with a supernatural perspective. This is knowing what God knows. This is seeing the world the way God would see it. That it. This idea lends to phrases like they have wisdom beyond their years. They have wisdom beyond their experience. That doesn't happen because they've grown old because they haven't yet. It doesn't happen because of experience because they don't have yet. It's got to be something bigger than that. And so being able to see things and process the natural information with a supernatural lens, it's taking us beyond the human ability to know and see And hear and understand and process and make decisions. It's beyond what our brains are capable of. It's a supernatural perspective. And ultimately, we want kingdom outcomes. That basically means God is glorified by the process and by the results. Kingdom outcomes, people are loved and they are valued and they are encouraged and they're developed the way they would be if it was Jesus doing it himself. It's, it's a process where when the world sees the outcome, when the world sees the journey that we're on, they see that there's something different. Because when they look at us, when they look at someone with this kind of wisdom, they say, man, that's a different journey than I've been on. That's a, it's a different mindset. They're seeing things differently than I can see things. They're processing this differently than I would or even am even capable of. This is like the Beatitudes, and we won't go too deep into it, but in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with these things called the Beatitudes, and and it takes the normal way of looking at things and flipping it around from the way God looks at things. It says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. These are different ways of looking at the world than we normally would. Embrace mourning. Nobody does that. Celebrate the meek in a world where arrogance is celebrated. Celebrate the merciful in a world where it's kill or be killed and get get what's yours. Blessed are you when someone insults you. Those things don't make sense unless you're looking at it from a supernatural perspective and seeing, okay, it's not about a reward here, it's about a reward in heaven. It's about glorifying God. It's about His will and His way. And his, That's why we sing that song, Rebel Heart. It's about getting rid of that and experiencing life from a different perspective, from God's perspective. We're looking for kingdom outcomes, even if that outcome flies in the face of what we would call success here in the real world. And so wisdom... There's something going on that's bigger than earthly outcomes. Wisdom is holy. Wisdom is universal. Wisdom is eternal. It's beyond earthly changing circumstances. It's beyond the human experience and human learning. Wisdom is a gift from God. And it's a gift that allows us to process the natural information in front of us through a supernatural lens in order to see God glorified, in order to see his kingdom come, his kingdom glorified. So that's our definition for today and, and through this series, but why, why spend all that time on that, right? Why, what makes this thing such a big deal? Well, I mentioned the urgency that you see as you go deeper into the book of Proverbs, and I want to do that now, because as you read through chapter 1, into 2, into 3, all the way through chapter 9, you see a couple different things happening, and one is conversations between a parent and their son a parent-child conversation. Some father, some mother is passing something down, and they have conversations about wisdom and conversations about character and conversations about generosity, and they say how you treat those types of things, if you do it right, it's going to lead to success and peace, or if you handle it incorrectly, it's going to lead to evil and pain and a loss of integrity. And so they say wisdom must be your number one pursuit. We see here in these chapters an urgent conversation between a parent and a child. It's urgent. The mindset of a father or mother that's basically thinking, man, if I have to leave this earth, if my kid is going to leave the nest and they're going to go off to college or go, go to the real world and get a job and get married, if they forget everything else we talk about, if they miss everything else that I try to pass down, at least they'll grasp this one thing, wisdom. Not wisdom for not cutting your finger off on the table saw, but wisdom as we've defined it here this morning. It's a really big deal. We're talking about a parent in Proverbs who's saying, man, if, if I'm going to put my kid's salvation on top of the pedestal, then shoot, I'm putting wisdom just a half notch below. It's an urgent topic. And then as you get into it, you, you come across this, uh, this entity, this, this person that gets referred to often as Lady Wisdom. It, it's, a, it's thoughts about wisdom from a pure, amazing woman that should be pursued and followed and embraced. And we pick her up in Proverbs one twenty, where it says this, it says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. This is urgent, right? This is, there's volume to this. She, she wants the biggest audience possible, the most captive audience possible. So she's going to the top of the mountain. She's going on the top of the wall where she can look down on people. She's going to the city gate where people congregate, where the influential people congregate, where she can shout it as loud as she can. This is a really big deal to her. Continuing into verse 22. She says, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? How long will fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. And then I will pour my thoughts to you and will make known to you my teachings. She says, Hey, the the wrong things are being celebrated here. We keep doing the same things time after time, generation after generation, expecting a different outcome from doing those same things. When are you going to make an adjustment, she screams. She says, acknowledge the issue. Accept that there's something wrong. Something is missing from the process of your life, from the outcomes of your life. Something needs to change. And she says, then I, then I Wisdom And God says, I, God, will initiate that change and will take what's available to me and make it available to you. She continues on with some more specifics in verse 24. It says, but since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand since you disregard my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then then they'll call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. They would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They're going to eat the fruit of their ways, and they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. She says basically this, it's, it's cause and effect. It's action and reaction. It's decisions and consequences. We've all had that friend. We've all had that relative. Some of us have had that child where no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many times you point their face in the direction of what they're doing and the outcomes of what they're doing, it doesn't matter how many times you say it, how many times you draw their attention to it, they keep doing it over over. And over and they never seem to figure it out and some you, you get past the point of frustration you get past the point of anger you get past the point of sorrow and you just get to that point of you just got to roll your eyes and throw up your hands almost just subtle mockery well of course that happened i told you it was going to happen it happened the last time it happened this time and if you do it again it's going to happen next time too of course Keep relying on human wisdom. Keep relying on human understanding and you'll keep experiencing the same results over and over, generation after generation, century after century. It's doomed to happen. But, but, and if we continue on, we're offered this alternative reality. Verse 33. She says, but whoever listens to me We'll live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And we get back to the parent-son conversation in chapter 2. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, there's the urgency again, right? This parent's like, man, if you'll just grasp this one big thing, if you'll chase this, if you'll prioritize this, if you make this the pursuit of your life, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you'll find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. Verse 16, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Verse 20, thus you will walk in the ways of, Of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. So keep relying on human wisdom and human understanding and get human results, or, and remember urgency, or, 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 you can find out that as much as a lack of wisdom can ruin your life, it can be your downfall the pursuit of wisdom can save your life, figuratively and quite literally. Lack of wisdom can be your downfall, but the pursuit of wisdom can save your life. And if you search for it with the same urgency with which it calls to you, God will give it to you. Your eyes will be opened. You will see the world through a different lens. And your life, all the decisions, all the options before you, the future, the present the dreams that God has planted in you, your life will slowly but surely and consistently start to follow based on what you now see, based on what you now understand. It means everything. And so wisdom, this gift of God that allows us to process the things in front of us from a supernatural perspective that's only available in Christ Allows us to experience those long term, eternal kingdom outcomes, but only if we make it as big of a deal in our lives as it wants us to. It has to be urgent, it means everything. And I want you to know, if this starts with a relationship with Jesus, right? It starts with not only talking to God and Being aware of God and believing in God, but welcoming that God into your life in a very intimate, personal, deep way. And then he starts on the inside. Starts with the messed up parts and the broken parts and the sad parts and the the bitter parts. Starts to help us see things differently, process things differently, experience life differently. That's where it's got to start. So, over the next few weeks, week three especially, going to get into some of the specifics of the practical side of Proverbs and wisdom. There's some areas of emphasis in Proverbs. Some of these Proverbs, there's like dozens of them that'll hit the same topic. You think, I should maybe pay attention to that. It seems to be making that one a pretty big deal. I'm going to talk about how to obtain it, how to grow in it, how to experience it in our lives. And I want to close today with a little bit different. I want to give you a homework assignment. I don't know how many people are going to do this. Maybe I'll shame you like on Facebook and like, I don't know how many people love their country, but if you do, you'll pass this on. I usually don't. But let's see, let's see who uh, will take us up on this homework offer. Um, so just kind of in keeping with the urgency of the early chapters of Proverbs, um, Proverbs 4.7 says, uh, The beginning of wisdom is this, and it can also be read, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom wisdom, though it costs you all you have. There's that urgency again. Get understanding. So first part, who do you know that is wise? Again, not three-finger Larry who lost three fingers to the table saw and now knows to be more careful. That's not the kind of wisdom we're looking for. Who do you know that is wise based on our definition for this series? Right? Supernatural perspective pursuing kingdom outcomes who do you know that is wise and here's your homework assignment buy them a meal at any price and show up with three good questions right and so this goes beyond just this week because you might not be able to nail somebody down but buy them a meal at any price and show up with three good questions now some sub rules for this first one this has to cost you something right you mylonites know that the coney uh, across town has $1 coney dogs on Tuesdays. We're not talking about $1 conies, right? This has to cost you something. Find out what that person likes and take them there. I don't care how much it costs, it needs to cost you something. Second thing, respect their time. Come with three legit questions and keep them for no more than an hour. They're gonna wanna give you more, right? Because that's the type of people we're talking about. One hour, say goodbye, and if, they, if you wanna do lunch again, great. Only take one hour of their time and make your questions legit. Third thing, don't let them turn around and make this about you. Because again, the type of people we're talking about, they're going to ask great questions themselves. They're going to want to hear your story. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your job. No, it's not about your story. You're asking three questions and letting them answer out of the wisdom that you've seen in them, out of the perspective that they have, out of what? God has blessed them with. Don't let them turn it around on you. And then the final one, if you don't know anyone, come talk to me and I'll help you find someone. Okay? Now, it's not going to happen in the next five minutes because that means you haven't put much thought into it. But if you go this week and you try to rack your brain on who's, who do I know that's wise, who can I get an hour with, if you can't think of anyone, come talk to me. It's not going to be me. You can't afford me. My, my wisdom comes with a porterhouse. Okay? <laughs> Joe's wisdom comes with a Big Mac. So I might, I might point you back to Joe <laughs> Uh, if you want to go that route. But I've got names and people I can throw at you, people that I've known to be wise and discerning over the years um, and get you some time with them. But guys, it's a really big deal. Wisdom is a really big deal. And so I really want to challenge you. uh, If you get some time this week, dive into those first few chapters of Proverbs and and, and see what God might have for you. Uh, Let me pray for you, and then I've got one more quick announcement. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you just, uh, I love these beautiful Sunday mornings where we can show up and um, not have to bundle up and not have to worry about, you know, coats and things like that. God, thanks for the sunshine that you throw on the front of this place on Sunday mornings, and um, God, as we, as we dive into this book, um, it, it can change lives um, in a way that only you can, and so we ask that uh, whether it's lunches or conversations or phone calls or simply asking you for it, that you would pour your wisdom into us. And when you do, maybe we be open to it, maybe we rely on it, maybe we reorient our lives according to your perspective, your eyes, your ears, your will, your way.